Grace United Methodist Church. Loving as God intends through helping, healing, and home. So today, as we continue to make our way through Lent, we have reached the, the prophet Amos. And we're going to be reading today from Amos, uh, the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of God's word. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us as a community of faith to, to be able to together turn to your scriptures. And we pray this morning that as we reflect on these verses in Amos, that, that you might open our ears so that we can hear. But even more than hearing, that your words may penetrate our hearts, pierce our soul, and transform us into the people that you've called and created us to be. Help us to set aside our own, our own uh, concerns, our own agendas, and simply help us tap in to you today so that your concerns become our concerns, your joys become our joys, and that we may, even though we are separated by miles, that we may be one through Christ our Lord. Hide me behind your cross. Give me a clarity of thought so that we can experience today you. Amen. So this, this book begins with a little bit of information that helps us situate it at a particular time, particular place. So it tells us that the, uh, the prophet Amos is a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. And so we know that what that means is that he's from southern Judah and that for, uh, for some reason, God has chosen him, even though he's from that location, he's a shepherd, has chosen him to go north to the kingdom of Israel and to begin to preach to them about... Um, some concerns that God has for the people up there. He's, he's preaching at a time of Jeroboam II when he was the king of, this, of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Jeroboam was a successful military leader who generated a lot of wealth. He, um, he was very victorious uh, in battle um, and and through that, he also expanded the territory of northern Israel. There's reference just to give us some, some um, 
some context, there's a reference to Mount Carmel. It says here that the grass on Mount Carmel is going to wither and die. So the words that he's bringing to Northern Kingdom are not, um, they're not words of, of encouragement. They seem to be words of warning. So just again, to give us some situation, some context, Mount Carmel is in the Northern Territory, and it's over along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's a beautiful area that um, had the opportunity to travel through. And so anyway, he, he's this... This prophet from the south has gone north to preach some doom and gloom to the people of Israel, including the leaders. He goes there to tell them what God thinks about what's going on in that kingdom. This book then is a collection of um, the prophet's sermons, poems, and visions. And it begins, as we heard, with this concise warning of what is to come. So, as it, as it begins to move through this warning, it starts out actually, even though it says it's a, that he's bringing this to the people of Israel, he starts out by, by giving a warning to the surrounding nations. And, and as you look at the geography, you begin to realize that what he's doing is he's starting out and he's warning them. But Israel sits in the middle of this target. And, and he's putting Israel right there in the middle. And all of these warnings are leading up to the big warning against the people of Israel. This book's about Yahweh. And it seems to focus in on one aspect of the character of God. It's an aspect that some people, um, both in the past and today, um, that, we have, that we feel maybe have put too much emphasis on. It's often people, you'll hear them talk about, they'll characterize this particular aspect of the character of God as the Old Testament God. Um, a God is, is a wrathful judge. In con and then what they'll do is they'll, they'll place it in contrast to what some people then call the God of the New Testament. But as Christians, one of the things that we're forced to do is to realize that these, these gods, they're actually one and the same. The God, that, the, the description that we get of God in the book of Amos is the very same God that we get introduced to uh, through Jesus and ultimately uh, at Calvary. So you have the God of Amos and the God of Calvary are the same, they're the same God. One of the claims that we see in the Bible about God is that if God is good, he, he has to confront injustice in order to bring about restoration. And it's, it's in those moments when we see God confronting injustice that we become the most uncomfortable, especially as Christians, because we always think about God as, as being loving and accepting. But the fact of the matter is that we know that you can't be just and at the same time accept injustice in your presence. If you're going to be just, you have to, you have to address injustice. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of images that I saw in, in, in history class. And there were these pictures of civilians, German civilians after World War II in, in April of 1945, 
being brought to these concentration camps. And they were being forced to walk through these concentration camps and see some of the horrors that were taking place there. They were brought that early because some of the, um, some of the people that were held captive in these concentration camps were still there because they couldn't just release them. The American soldiers that arrived, they couldn't just release them because they were in such bad health that if they had just gone out and began to eat and that they ran the risk of actually dying. So they had to slowly help them regain their strength by keeping them in the camps, which we think is, is a horrible thing. But, but in, the, in the grand scheme of things, we begin to see that, that it was actually the right thing to do that, to care for those people. But, but in these images, you saw that they were forcing these, these German civilians to walk through. And I remember when I was young thinking to myself, why would they do that to those people? And the older I got, it began to dawn on me that these people, that they lived in close proximity to where some of the most horrific acts against humankind has ever taken place. And inherently what we see is that the, the, the liberators, they, they inherently knew that you can't be a just person if you don't address injustice. And so they forced these people to face what, their, what was the result of their unwillingness or inability to stand up against what they knew was wrong. In other words, what, what they were doing is they were saying, you're just as responsible for the things that took place here, even though you may never have participated. And so, so if we're going to profess that God is just, God has to f deal with injustice in this world. But we see that, that God is good, right? Even in this book of Amos, where, where it seems like, like God is, is just this judging, punishing God, we, we see glimpses. In, in Amos chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, Now, this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel, Come back to me and live. Same chapter, verse 14, Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. And so what we begin to see is that, is that coming back to God, that being with God is the same thing as it, it involves you doing good. And those things become synonymous. Doing good, good is God. And through both of those, we have the opportunity to live. Hate evil and love what is good. Verse 15, turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. What we see is that God is, in the book of Amos, God is judging and holding accountable when he sees humans acting in ways that are unjust. He, in this book, he says that he's confronting their hypocrisy. And he says that the religious is a, that the religion is a sham. 
He reminds them of their, of their great calling, which came with great responsibility. Their great calling to show God's justice, to show God's mercy and love to this world. That was the great calling. And it's a great responsibility, if you think about it, to, to be tasked with living in such a way that you're showing the character of God to this world. And then in this book, in their failure to live into their calling, it leads to great consequences. When we fail to be just, we're unjust. Verse 21 of chapter 5. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. It's not about how many Bible studies we sit in or even lead. It's not about how many worship services we attend. It's not about how many opportunities we have to sing, um, maybe, maybe solos or in the choir or, or to play an instrument in worship. It's not about how many opportunities we have to, to preach a sermon. None of that matters to God if, it doesn't, if it's not accompanied with what they say here is righteousness and justice. The prophet says, well, God says to the prophet, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. So that's what we're called to. We worship, we gather together to to remind us. It's a means to an end. It's not an end in its own. In Hebrew, tzedakah is, is the word for righteousness, and it means having or, or living in right relationships. So what the prophet is telling us is that God wants us to be living in right relationships with people around us. If we're not living in right relationships, if we're not loving people the way God wants us to be loving, then, then we're committing, then, then we're participating in, in the injustice of this world, then we become unjust Justice, mishpat, it means to take action to correct injustice. And we're called to do both through the relationships that we live and the actions that we take to be righteous and to seek justice. You see, God's plan for restoring this world is by using God's people to take action against injustice and to live in right relationships. Amos points out how the people and their leaders have failed to participate in God's plan. We're either participating in justice or we're unjust. We're, we're either living in right relationships or we're unrighteous. But there's still good news. 
In chapter 9, at the end, it says this. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. You see, the good news is that even when we fail, when we experience the consequences of our inability to live as God has called us to live, even then, God still works for our restoration. This is what we see in Christ. It's a love that conquers all. Amen.